Hello, and welcome to the Hope Brooklyn Weekly Sermon Podcast. Hope Brooklyn is a community of faith in Brooklyn, New York, that believes wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there's room at the table. Thanks for listening, and enjoy this week's sermon. All right. Hey, it's a joy to be here with you guys again. As many of you know, uh, my name is Drew. I'm the transitional pastor here, so I've been serving in this season with this beautiful community, um, and I'm able to attend uh, a few times throughout the month, and so it is just such a joy to be here and uh, have some pizza together. So that'll be for everyone after the service, and then the newcomers, we can actually kind of group off, and we can, you can hear more about how you can connect, grow, and serve, and I just want to, hey, can we thank all the staff and the leaders and the council? Uh, I also would really love to, I would love to honor, you know, this, this church is actually part of a larger body called the Foursquare Denomination, and uh, we have two representatives from the larger Foursquare leadership who have joined us today that we are so honored and privileged. Like, it's a huge deal that these folks actually have come today, Shonda and Carrie, who are part of the leadership of the Foursquare in this region. Can we, can we just celebrate them and thank them for coming? Uh, I know that they came and basically said, hey, we just want to be, just sit in the corner and not do it. And we were like, yes, uh, but we did want to acknowledge you and just want to say thank you for your leadership uh, in this region and really throughout the denomination. For, for so many churches across this region, we just want to thank you and celebrate you. And so uh, we're actually going to be taking a break from our normal sermon series, which has been on wisdom and the wisdom literature. And we're actually going to be talking about this theme called the pursuit. Can I hear you say the pursuit? And uh, if you're not a Christian here, it's a great actual Sunday to be here because we're actually going to be exploring what, what do Christians believe about the story of God and the story of God and what he's doing in our world today and how we fit into the larger story of what he's done, you know, thousands of years ago and into today. So we're actually going to be taking this journey throughout scripture of learning about this idea of the pursuit. Now, some of you may be thinking, what is this pursuit? Is it the pursuit of, of man and women towards God or is it pursuit of God towards us. And we're going to actually explore how all of that actually works together. We're going to see the story of how God has really been the one who has been in pursuit. And it actually starts from the very beginning. In the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis is basically Genesis means the book of beginnings. The book of beginnings, and this is what Christians believe about the book of beginnings, is that God created the world. And if you look in Genesis chapter 1, it's written in this beautiful kind of prose and poem about uh, the beginnings of how God created the world and everything in it. And when he created the world, he calls it good. He uses the word tov. Uh, Can I hear you say tov? And what's interesting is after he's created everything, it says he looked at everything he had made and he sees that it's tov meod. Can I hear you say tov meod? Tov meod basically means it was very good. So God creates everything in the world. He creates it to be very good. Now, here's the thing. What ends up happening, now, here's what Christians believe about how sin and darkness and evil enter into the world. Now, you don't even have to be a Christian to kind of understand that what we all experience in the world, we all experience some tov, some goodness in the world. But we also experience some sadness, some difficulty, some suffering, some pandemics. Uh, Again, you don't have to be a religious person to know that that's part of the human experience. Now, here's what Christians believe about how darkness and sin and brokenness entered into the world. It's that God created Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve made poor choices. They made a choice to say, God, we don't want to listen to you. In fact, in some ways, we've been tempted to believe that we want to become our own gods. So what we believe is what we call, Christians call this the fall. The fall means that uh, Adam and Eve end up disobeying God, and as a result of that disobedience, they're separated from God. Now, this 
this rupture in the relationship is something that every human being will experience from God. Because what we believe is that the sin and brokenness that we ourselves as fallen human beings, again, no matter what background you come from, it doesn't matter what race or ethnicity, every single one of us, we all contribute to this thing called brokenness and sin in the world. And this is why God, what he has been doing, and you see after, after Adam and Eve commit this sin, there's this extraordinary passage that, that demonstrates the heart of God. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. After Adam and Eve are separated in their relationship from God, check out what it says. It says, but the Lord God called to the man, and he asked this question, where are you? Now, here's the thing that we know and believe about God. We know and believe that he's omniscient, that he's omnipotent. He knows all things, and he's all-powerful. And here's the question that I want to ask you. Why in the world does God ask this question, where are you? Is it like God is somehow wondering, like, oh, what, what happened to Adam and Eve? Did they just ditch me and now i got to go find them? No, he's asking this question. He knows where they are. He knows what they've done. But in this question, the question, where are you, we see the very heart of God. That from the beginning, there's this heart of God who's in pursuit. He's pursuing, he's chasing, he's coming after you. He's coming after Adam and Eve, and ever since the fall, he's been coming after each one of us. And that's why he asked the question, where are you? It's because he wants to know personally. He wants to see. He wants to know. Now, here's the thing. The story of God throughout scriptures is that God actually sends his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And Jesus himself, who is God incarnate, enters into the world. He takes on flesh. He takes on flesh and he lives among people. And what's, here's, here's the thing about Jesus that's so extraordinary is that the gospel accounts are these historical accounts of Jesus, of who he is and how God interacts with his people. And what's so extraordinary is in the gospel accounts that um, describe how Jesus interacts with people, there are these little clues that the historians offer whenever Jesus interacts with certain people. So, for instance, there's this moment where there's actually a widow and a widow, uh, in the ancient world, widows were seen as people who were cursed by God. That's why they become widowed. So you can imagine widows were sometimes the outcasts of society. There were people who were thought to be far from God's heart because God has cursed them. That's why they become widows. And yet there's this moment where Jesus is actually, he notices this widow. And check out what it says in the text. In, Mark, in Luke chapter 7, verse 13, it says, when the Lord, or that's Jesus, when he saw her, his heart went out to her. Now, here's what, again, this is what I find so beautiful about Jesus, is that the text basically tells us there's these little clues about how he actually sees her. She's not someone who's forgotten. She's not someone who's ignored. She's not someone who's basically, you know, too much of an outcast to be remembered by God. Instead, Jesus actually sees her and his heart goes out to her. You know what's so extraordinary is that this happens time and time again. Passage after passage shows about how Jesus, just these little clues of how Jesus notices. So, for instance, there's actually this exchange in, in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10. Uh, it's the story of the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler is someone who's rich, who's young, who's a ruler. Uh, we don't, you know, some people say, like, what, what does it mean to be a ruler? Let's just say whatever it means, it means a person had some sort of clout and authority. Now, in many ways, I, I, I think in our city, like, People can relate to that. Maybe today you are a rich young ruler somehow yourself, or maybe you want to feel like one. Uh, but here's what's so extraordinary is this rich young ruler who's like this over-eager, zealous 
wants to be right with God kind of person and actually goes and asks this question to Jesus, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus basically, he tells him, well, this is basically what it said kind of throughout the scriptures about how to, what does it mean to connect with God? But Jesus knows this man's heart. He's one of these over-functioning, high-powered, like overachieving, let me know what I have to do to check off this box on my list so that God will approve of me kind of person. In other words, he's just like you. I'm just kidding. Uh, but... I mean, this kind of this, this sense that like, okay, he wants to be good with God. Tell me what I need to do. And you know what's so extraordinary is Jesus tells him this. And then the man says to him, all of this I've kept since I was young. And Jesus, like this tender father who looks over this person, this man, he knows that the longings of his heart, he knows all the ways that he's working so hard to strive so hard to be somebody and to be right with God. And look at what the text says. In Mark chapter 10, it says, Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. Isn't that beautiful? Like he's having this interaction with this man, and he sees him. He looks at him, and he loves him. Have you ever, um, like, been in a conversation with someone, and the person wasn't really present with you? Um, has that ever happened to you with me as a pastor? And I'm just kidding. Because uh, it probably has sometimes on Sunday as I get really distracted. Confession here. But like if you've ever been in a conversation with someone where their mind is occupied and they're kind of looking past you. Have you ever done that? And it just feels, it feels so like dishonoring. There's this moment where you're trying to talk to someone versus just looking right past you. And yet here Jesus is. He's the God of the universe. And with each person, he, he actually, he sees, he looks he loves. You know, uh, there's a friend of ours who um, they found out, they discovered um, one day that uh, kind of in their pregnancy that they had a, a strong chance and likelihood that their child would be born with Down syndrome. They didn't really know what to do with that because in their family history, as far as they knew, they didn't know that there was a history of mental illness um, or anything or Down syndrome that would come into their family. And so it was such a new thing for them. And one of the things that happened as they were preparing for this birth was when the baby was, was finally born, it was confirmed that the child had Down syndrome. It was, it was in some ways this exhilarating moment of joy because a baby is born into the world mixed with all sorts of confusion and some sorrow knowing the pain that this baby would be in. And I'll never forget because uh, a few years into this baby growing up and becoming a young boy, uh, I remember talking to, his, to, the, to the father, and the father, he actually told me something about how much this, this baby had really enriched his own life. Because in a shocking way, again, he thought that it would be hard and difficult, but he found such beauty in his, his son. And one of the things that he, he told me that really changed him and marked him forever was he said he, the local grocery store that he used to go to was this place, you know, he'd been there countless numbers of time with his family, and he would always go to the, you know, the same line that he would get into and check out and everything else. And he said that one of the things that he noticed was after he had his son, there was a, a young man who was always the one bagging groceries. And he said he never noticed this until he actually had his son. He noticed that that young man was actually someone who had Down syndrome. And one of the things he said was whenever he would go to the grocery store from now on, he said he realized how much he had missed kind of these little things in his own life. 
And so even at the grocery store, he, he just didn't notice it about the guy. It was just some guy that was bagging the groceries, and then he would get his groceries and leave. But he says that after he had his son and he actually noticed the man, it just forever marked him. And he said even though countless times he had been to the same grocery store, he now started to, to have a conversation with the man. He said, hey, how, how's it going? He saw his name tag. And he, start, he said, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for bagging these groceries. It's so good to see you. Thank you for the ways that you're serving us. Somehow he began to notice, to see. There, there's something about being seen, isn't there? There's something about being noticed. There's this other story in scripture that uh, is found in Mark chapter 5. And it's a beautiful story because here's what happens. Basically, this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and basically says, oh, my daughter is sick. Please come and come and heal my daughter. And Jesus is basically like, okay, let's go. Now, here's the thing. Jesus' reputation had gone before him. He's already this man of, that's known as this miracle worker. And so throngs of people are crowding around Jesus and his disciples as they're on their way. I mean, can you imagine this anticipation? Everyone knows that Jesus is this miracle worker. And now Jesus basically says, I'm going to heal your daughter. And all of a sudden, this whole crowd, like everyone's like, yo, Jesus, go heal this guy's daughter. Like, come on, right? And like there's a whole group of people that start to follow. Can you imagine like just how crowded? Now, here's the thing. There's this woman that the text tells us in the midst of actually going to heal this man's daughter. There's this woman that in Mark chapter 5, it tells us that there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years in a very private area. She's been suffering at the hands of many doctors. No one knows what it is. But because of her bleeding, especially in this private area, she's considered someone to be unclean. Now, in the ancient world, to be considered unclean in ancient Israel was to be someone who is to be outcast from the society. Like somehow, because of whatever deficiency it was, this person was considered unclean. Now, some uh, historians tell us that when someone was marked to be unclean, they would actually have to go, whenever they would come into a community or get near people, they would have to yell out, unclean, unclean, un So in other words, people knew who the unclean people were. Now, here's the thing about this woman, though. We don't know exactly what she did. We don't know if she came to crowds and she would basically say, unclean, I'm unclean, everybody. Maybe sometimes she would wear like some sort of kind of a scarlet scarf around her just to signal to people, hey, listen, just you should stay away from me because I'm considered unclean. So you can imagine this anonymous woman who's been suffering for 12 years, considered unclean, an outcast who hasn't been around people. But notice what happens because there's this, there's this throng of people going with Jesus, right? Jesus is on his way. He's on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. Now, here's what the text tells us. This woman, she actually makes her way through the crowd. In other words, this is probably what she did. She probably, whatever that mark was, that signaled to everyone else that she was unclean. She probably took that off, right, that scarlet, whatever, that scarlet scarf or whatever. She put it away. She hid her identity just so she could get close enough. And so here's what she, do, she, she does. She ends up going, and she's, like, trying to angle her way to Jesus because this is what she thinks in her mind. If I can just, I've, I've heard of his power. If I can just get close enough to him and just touch the edge of his robe, I can make it. So can you imagine this woman? She's, like, she's super probably like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this. She takes off her scarlet, whatever, scarf or whatever, and she starts to make her way. And she starts bumping into people as she's on her way there. She she. she bumps into them, and then she sees that she's close enough finally. She goes, and she just touches the hem of his robe. She just, just touches it. Immediately, she feels a sensation of power enter into her body. 
Can you imagine? So she, she touches it, and immediately she feels whole. And now all of a sudden she's like, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, this is awesome. This is great. I can't believe this. Dude, but the story doesn't end there. And what's so crazy is that the story basically, it tells us that Jesus basically stops because he knows that power has gone out of her. And then he starts saying, like, hey, wait a minute, somebody touched me. And, like, the disciples are like, ah, oh, Jesus, we're, like, on the sixth train in the middle of rush hour right now. Like, we're at Atlantic Avenue. And Bar- we're, like, we're trying to get, like, like, this is the worst time to ask who touched you. Like, there's tons of people touching you right now, Jesus. And she's like, no, 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 no. Someone touched me. Power went out for me. Now, can you imagine when Jesus starts, he says this, right? He's like, he's like, no, someone touched me. And this woman's just like, oh, Jesus, what the, what's your problem? Like, oh, my goodness. Like, I was just trying to get away with it. What's your problem? And he, and he insists, and he's like, hey, someone touched me. And this woman finally is just like, it was me. It was me, Jesus. It was me. I can imagine everyone being stunned and just kind of stopping and just kind of like, oh, what's going on here? What's... Look at what it says in Mark chapter 5. It says, Jesus kept looking around. He kept looking around to see who had done it. It says, then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear. The question is, why is she trembling with fear? This woman's just been healed. I wouldn't be trembling. I'd be like, actually, Jesus, that was me. Hey, everyone, that was me. I was healed. I, listen, follow this man, okay, because he is amazing. All I did was touch his, the hem of his robe. Thanks, Jesus. Appreciate you calling me out. I'm, I'm here for you. Whenever you need a testimony, I'm here, right? And then she's out. But no, she's trembling with fear. And why in the world is she trembling with fear? She's trembling with fear because all of a sudden it says she tells the whole truth. I can imagine she's in this crowd, and she begins to tell Jesus, Jesus, I've been, I've been wrestling with this, this illness that has plagued me for 12 years. I cannot stop the bleeding. I've had to wear this scarlet scarf around my neck to tell everyone that I was unclean. And I just wanted to get close enough to you. That's it. I just want to get close. So I took off the scarf. And I can imagine the crowd around her just being like, what? What did you do? How dare you do? You know, and immediately the, the, the rise of anger and animus that comes from the crowd towards this woman. Jesus, all I want to do is just get close enough to touch you. I'm sorry I got close to these people. I'm sorry that they're now unclean. I'm, I'm just, I'm sorry. You know what's so beautiful about this story? I mean, the text tells us that she comes, she falls on her knees. And Jesus basically calls her daughter. Your faith has healed you. Now, why did Jesus do that? Why did he look around for this woman? It would have been so much easier for her just to get away. And be another notch on the miracle card. And yet he calls her out to tell her story. To absorb the hostility of the crowd around her. Why would he do that? It's so that in front of everyone, he could call her daughter. 
your faith has healed you. There's something about Jesus. He's just always looking, noticing, seeing, pursuing, and chasing. You know, there's this image that in our Emotionally Healthy Discipleship courses that we often kind of uh, present, and it's an image actually of an iceberg. And here's the thing about an iceberg. An iceberg is basically, you know, 10% of the iceberg is actually above the surface or the waterline, and 90% of an iceberg is actually beneath. And the reason why we use this image is because oftentimes the way that people and even Christians move about in the world is, and even in a place like New York, There's this 10% that everyone sees, and yet there's this 90% below the surface that we often don't let anyone into. Has anyone experienced this in New York, how like New York City is the most dense kind of city definitely in the United States, but it's this place that's incredibly crowded. Millions of people live here, and yet one of the most constant refrains that I hear from New Yorkers is just how deeply lonely they are. Isn't that interesting? Like where this mass of people just huddled together and all we do is we show this 10% above the surface and yet there's this 90% with all sorts of longings and fears and hopes and dreams. And oftentimes church communities can often be like this as well where all we do is we come week to week and we just show that 10% above the surface and meanwhile there's that 90% below the surface that we dare would not let anyone touch. And we might put on kind of the outward garb and do the outward activities of religiosity. And yet, inwardly, there's all this stuff that's happening below the surface. Now, here's the miracle of God. Here's the miracle of a God who actually looks and pursues. He actually sees everything. And he knows you better than you know yourself. He knows all of your hopes, your wishes, your sorrows, your longings. He knows you. And he's pursuing you. There's something about this God of pursuit. The question is, will you allow yourself to be found? You know what's interesting is this whole kind of theme of God's pursuit. It actually continues on throughout scripture. And the apostle Paul would actually write about how what's interesting is that this pursuit that God has, he actually invites us into this pursuit together. Uh, sorry, I didn't realize I was going to make my way out here, but I got very excited. So here I am. Uh, and some of you are like, you're too close to me. You're your mask. You're not wearing your mask. I mean, but here's the thing. Like, what's interesting is that, see, the pursuit of God is a story of God's pursuit, his knowing each one of us, everything below the surface, and still wanting to come and chase after you, wanting to invite you into his family, wanting to call you a daughter, a son, and part of this new family of Jesus. And what's so fascinating is that God actually invites us, the church, into this same endeavor. So here's what the Apostle Paul says. Check out what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. There's this passage where Paul is basically, he's someone himself who's been radically pursued by God, has his life radically changed from being someone who's a persecutor of others and full of violence to being someone now who's been set free and wants to proclaim the good news of Jesus to others. Check out what he writes to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, though I am free and belong to no one. Now, he's he's speaking metaphorically. There's all sorts of uh, clues towards ancient references here. I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. Now, basically, here's what Paul is saying. He's basically saying, listen, 
This pursuit of God that he has for us is something that's so vital, so important, so all-encompassing that I've given my life to this so that I would do anything to be part of this pursuit. In fact, look at what he says. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. And look at what he says. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, like he's basically, do you see what he's saying here? He's basically saying, I've been so captured by the pursuit of God, by God's extraordinary, extravagant love and pursuit of me, that there's nothing more that I would like to give all of myself to than letting myself be part of this story of giving all of me, all of me, so that I could be part of this pursuit too. But here's what's so strange about this. He basically says, I become all things to all people so that by all possible means, you would think he's basically going to say, so that by all possible means, I might save. It's not all. It's just some. What's going on? Wait, like, here he is. He's like, I, I become all things to all people. So by all possible means, I become all. Like, that flows way more poetically if it's just all, you know. But he doesn't say that. He says, so that I might save some. It's almost like Paul recognizes his own limits. And it's almost like this anticlimactic moment in this whole kind of declaration of the pursuit of God and what he's part of. You know, one pastor, this is kind of how he translates this. This is what he says. He says, what Paul is basically saying is, all of me, so just one of them, could have all of him. All of me, so just one of them, could have all We may not be able to save everyone, but we can give of ourselves so just one person might know the beauty of this God who has been pursuing and loving and forgiving and chasing. You know, when I think of this theme of all of me, so just one of them could have all of him, I often think about my own mother. <laughs> uh, my mom, she immigrated here and uh, with my father you know, worked the graveyard shift, took very little vacation because I know we never went on vacation. And so, <laughs> and so I just think of my mom all the time as someone who just, just this extraordinary kind of life. And I remember kind of as I got older and I could recognize that it was unusual for an adult to give so much of themselves for the benefit of her children. Uh, I just remember asking her, like what, like, what were some of the dreams that she had in her own life? And much to my surprise, she started sharing all these dreams that she had, you know, as a young girl growing up in Korea and having all these dreams for herself. And uh, I remember, like, saying, like, Mom, like, you could have you chased that. You could have done that. You could have become, like, a track star. And I was saying all this stuff. And she's just like, oh, you idiot. No, she didn't say that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but she essentially, she was just like, oh, yeah. She goes, no, I, you know, I, I just chose a different life. 
And uh, I remember asking her, like, like, wow, you, what, what was your mentality? And she, she said to me, you know, if just you guys could be taken care of and you could know God's love for you, that's enough for me. That's enough for me. In other words, what she was saying is, all of me, so just one of you, you have all of him. Now, here's the thing. We're in this season at Hope Brooklyn where we're kind of restarting everything, and we're kind of like, first, here's what I want to, do, what I want to say. First, God has been pursuing each one of you. If there's some of you, you feel like, you know, that iceberg where you feel like, man, not even 10%. People are only getting to know 1% to 2%. And you realize it's because maybe you've been hurt too often. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you're carrying all sorts of stuff. And you wonder if a church community could ever, ever welcome you in. Well, here's the invitation for you. I would love for you to actually join us for pizza. Sorry, you didn't see that coming. But I would just love for you to just take one step. One step to become known. This is what our tables are for. Meanwhile, for others of us, as we're in this season, what would it look like for each one of us? A few weeks ago, I talked about how God is writing this darn good story and how in the midst of what God is writing, God is doing something new and beautiful in this community. What if each one of us, what if we, like Paul, took on this posture of, you know, all of me, so just one person might have all of him. That's the invitation that I'd like to give to you as well as to myself, that each one of us first would be known by God and that we would also welcome people in into this God who knows, who pursues, who's looking, who's seeing, who's loving. There's nothing you can hide from him, and yet he will still chase after you. Thank you.